Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, thank you so much for giving us the gift of your time and joining us today. We hope to give you some interesting insights and things to think about as you are building your business. We talk about all different stages of business and what's important. And I know I like to talk a lot about marketing and growth, but we're going to take a slightly different tactic today. We know that as you build your business, you might be looking for investors or you might ultimately want an exit strategy and you have to have your governance foundation intact so that others can see you as a healthy business ecosystem and a company that they want to align with. And we are bringing you a governance expert today. So it is my joy and delight to head over to Toronto and introduce you to Matt Fulbrook. Matt, give our listeners an idea of what wonderful things you deliver to the world today. Thanks, Allison. Yeah, so I've had the remarkable pleasure and privilege to have spent the first 20, now 22 or 23 years of my professional career working in and around the world of senior executives and boards of directors and talking about corporate governance and having my thinking about what that even means evolve over time. And so what I'm doing now, I do quite a bit of speaking and teaching. I have a podcast that's just about to wrap up its third third season called One Minute Governance or OMG. I've launched a new platform called Ground Up Governance that I kind of think of as part encyclopedia, part uh, graphic novel, part sort of learning platform and community building platform. It's a little bit of a countercultural governance thing. And just spending my time talking with fun and interesting people like you, governance nerds, about whatever anyone wants to chat about. So thanks for having me. Yeah, Matt, I, I, for our listeners, you might, they might be going, why am I going to listen to this? And I'm like, governance is sexy. Just hang on, hang on. <laughs> um, because it's, it's more than just putting, you know, a board of directors in a room and handing them an agenda and ticking things off and filing, you know, your financial statements. Uh, and it is absolutely way more than Robert's rules of order. So, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Matt, I, you, you've shared this and, and like I said, I love this part where you say, you know, ground up governance is equal parts encyclopedia, graphic novel, and meeting place for governance nerds. But let's start off with some, with a basic, uh, yeah. what would you say is, is your definition or general guideline that people should think of when they think of corporate governance? Oh, okay. That's a really good one. And my, I've got to admit that my my thinking on this one has changed quite a bit, even over the last six months, but especially over the last year and a half or so. And I think one of the things that I'm really latched onto now is the fact that, at least in my experience, there's this tendency to want to create a false equivalency between governance and compliance. And I, I, when I say compliance, I mean it in a kind of broad way, which might include regulations and laws, but also trying to find some set of rules that we can implement and follow. And there afterwards, we have 
governance or even good governance. And I, one of the things that I, I think is really important to realize is that just about anything and everything that happens in a typical boardroom, let's say 90 plus percent of it is optional. Right. So we've got that 10% that might be the core, which is the rules we have to follow. And the rest of the 90% should be kind of choose your own adventure, but it ends up being exactly the same, regardless of the size and complexity or sector of the organization. And so the thing that I'm really focused on now is trying to encourage entrepreneurs, CEOs, board chairs, and so on to kind of let go of the status quo, because not only is most of it optional, but I would argue a lot of it works at cross purposes to good governance unintentionally. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I heard you in, in one uh, venue talk about, you know, in terms of a boardroom, uh, good governance is we should be providing that, that board that's there to direct the overall business kind of vision and, and goals, a decision for a, a proper framework for decision making. Um, do you want to expand on that? Son? Yeah. I, do I ever want to expand on that? Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe one of the most interesting things that I, I learned about myself first, and then I, I started realizing that it wasn't just me is just after spending, let's say the first 15 years of my career, it took me that long before I realized that I couldn't define corporate governance, broadly speaking, without either kind of going into word salad or referring being self-referential like saying um, corporate governance is the way that corporations are governed and then even more recently I realized if you'd asked me what good governance is I would have really struggled to define that too and I thought okay well a I want to I want to come up with definitions which I'll share with you in a moment so that I at least have something that I'm referring to and b why don't I go out and ask the leaders that I know in my community what they think corporate governance is and what they think good governance is. And even the ones who have an idea or a definition at hand, I haven't met two who define it the same way. So we're out in this space all using these terms that in many of us, we don't have a definition for them. And and even when we do, we're using the same words to mean different things as each other without exploring it. So I'll, I'll give you my definitions because I think it's relating back to this decision piece mm -hmm. that you're talking about. I define corporate governance without any sort of judgment or any value. So this isn't good governance. I define it intentionally with passive voice as the way that decisions get made in an incorporated entity. And so Governance is happening whether you do it on purpose or not. There's decisions happening all through your organization. That's governance, period. I would define then good governance as, and I'm, I, the wording changes pretty frequently, but here's where I'm at now. I define good governance as the act of intentionally creating effective conditions for decision-making. So the act is intentionally creating conditions, effective conditions. It's not the decision that happens at the end. You never know what the res ultimate result of a decision is mm -hmm. going to be. But if we can create conditions where we've got the right information, the right people, the right culture, everything is in place to try to optimize the conditions for decision-making, that to me is good governance. Well, and, and like you said, it's happening whether, whether you're thinking about it or not. So I want to take a step back matt because the listeners of this program they could be solopreneurs who are right. really just doing their startup and they could be people that have already done uh 
Jennifer Smith, who I just interviewed, who's the week before you just did a seed round for $30 million. So you, right. you can have quite a wide range of my audience of what types of governance, but I have this really strong belief that it doesn't matter how small you are, you need to be thinking about the framework of governance at a pretty early a pretty early stage. And it's not just a, a tick box that we've we've ticked this box to file our annual reports with the state so we don't lose our our state licensing. Right. It's so much, it's so much more. I want to know where you see corporate governance, the most common kind of where corporate governance has gone bad. Oh, well, I mean, if you accept my definition of good governance, <laughs> I could convincingly argue that I've never seen it. So in a way, we might, uh, there might just be bad governance everywhere. But I think in the context, and I, I think I, I'm, I think I've got the spirit of your question, which is, if we think about folks who may be, as you say, they're either solopreneurs or somewhere between that part of the journey. And when we're starting to get outside voices inside our fold, whether they are, are uh, they're friendly or hostile, that's a different story. And so let's look at my little one person shop where I am. I have a board because an incorporated entity has a board, but it's just me. I'm the only owner. I'm the only employee. And corporate governance in this case is me getting out of bed every day and deciding what I feel like doing. And there are stakeholders who stand to benefit and suffer, but the consequences are pretty limited, right? The upside and downside for anyone other than me is just about nothing. Now, if you get a little bit more complex, the first thing that our instincts tell us, and those outside investors are also going to believe this, even though they're wrong, is that, oh, shoot, now we have to give a vote and a, and a seat at the table to anyone who's investing from the outside. Now, what's interesting is I sometimes, and I, I, this is where I'm getting to your question, where I think there's a little bit of a governance mistake that gets made both by the investors and by the, the entrepreneurs is that we start the negotiation assuming that we have to negotiate over board seats. But if you ask, and I get, I, I know I've got this privileged position to be able to get and to sit down with the investors without anything at stake. But I sometimes say to them, do you really want to be on the board with your, you know, it's your, your butt on the line here and you have to have a vote and you have to take on the liability. And they say, no, you know what, really? I don't want to, I just have to. And I say, why? And they say, well, that's just part of the job of being a responsible investor. And I think we sometimes forget that what the investors really want is a voice. They don't necessarily want to vote. Some of them really do, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Some of them, all they want is a voice. And in that sense, you can treat them as one of the puzzle pieces that you fit together in creating effective conditions for decision-making. They're a source of in information. They're a source of external wisdom. Maybe they're a source of pressure. Maybe they're a source of disagreement. Whatever it is, this is these. they are conditions that we can, or they're factors that impact the conditions that we create. And if we have to give them a board seat, great. But here's the other mistake that gets made. We sometimes fail to think very much about what we want that board to be until after we've let the investors in the room. And mm. that, I love, I love that, that analogy right there, thinking about right. what we want them to be before we let them into the room. 
Right. And yeah. they they like that too, to be honest. They feel much more comfortable being able to come into a boardroom and saying, oh, I get how this works. This is great. Now I've got, uh, sure, I have a voice and a vote, but at least I also understand how this works. And I know it's unfair to expect a typical entrepreneur to have a really, really strong grasp on the types of models that could exist, especially ones that may not exist yet. But I really do think it's worth putting some serious thought into, okay, if we're going to start taking our board seriously, what do we want its purpose to be? What do we want to accomplish during board meetings? What do we want to get out of the people who are in the room so that when we bring those investors into the room and give them a vote and a seat at the table, we can be clear to them and say, this is what the point of this whole thing is. We'd, we're excited to have you play a role. And that gives them a little bit more confidence that you know what's up, but also limits the influence that they have to kind of blow it up and start over. No, I really love this. You know, Matt, I, like you, I've sat in, in so many boardrooms and, and I've sat in the majority of the boards I've worked with have been international in composition. Sure. And I will have forever have seared in my brain. I was in Las Vegas and at a board meeting and one of the board members was from South Africa and he flew in from South Africa. And it was one of those kind of agendas that was a tick box agenda. And I remember he he stood up and, and, and he said, I did not get on a plane from South Africa to get into this room right. to just be a yes man to everything you've you've said. So either figure out what you want the board to do um or use my time wisely. And that had that was just like seared in my my head that you know when when people convene, especially in modern day, when people convene, you need to be using their their time so wisely. Yeah, I love this example for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is I think it's sometimes hard for entrepreneurs when we're so we're, we're eating, sleeping and breathing every element of our company all day, all night. And it's just it's everything we think about. It's hard for us to imagine that some random outsider is going to be able to come into our boardroom and actually do something useful, but they can. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially if we set up, we, we set them up for success. So if we make it clear to them how they can be helpful, if we give them the information they need to be able to do that helpful stuff. And once they get in the room, we demonstrate to them that we actually sincerely care about their information that they have to share with us, their positions that they might take, the opinions, the insights, the predictions, all that stuff. Then we completely manage the risk that you're talking about, which is we've got someone in the room who could be amazing, but instead comes in and says, why am I even here? Right. And it's so, it's such a missed opportunity to have these smart people in the room and not treat it like it's a serious opportunity to learn and make the company better. Yeah, absolutely. So I know one of the things that you, you talk about, I hear you use these words of authority, power, and, and accountability, uh, can you just expand on um, some of the observations you've made of of when, um, because we just talked about, yeah, using people in the room, but then you've got this this game of authority and 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 power and accountability. And and I like I learned this phrase um, early in my career. My favorite phrase is "Who holds the pen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> who holds the pen?" Because sometimes it's the person who holds the pen gives the pen away and they shouldn't. Um, yeah. But it's a very interesting dynamic of, of boards. 
Yeah, the, I mean, it's such a, an unusual set of, of the, the hierarchy is clear in at least on paper, but the way that it manifests in real life can be kind of mushy. I, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug my friend uh, I, at the Rotman School of Management. We worked together forever. Tiziana Cacharo and her colleague at, at Harvard, Julie Batalana, wrote a book a couple of years ago called Power for All. And I recommend to everybody that they should read it because one of the things that it illustrates is the difference between authority and power and why understanding that difference matters. So let's be really practical about it. We can all imagine a CEO, for example, who has a ton of authority as a manager, right? They're the one who is who has authority over everybody else in the organization except the board. We can all imagine a CEO with all that authority who's unable to get anyone to do anything that they want them to do. It happens, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. just people in positions of, of tremendous authority have very limited power. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, we can picture people with no authority, maybe people at the very margins of society who are able to create movements that change the world, right? So power and authority don't always go hand in hand. And so we remember in the context of corporate governance, broadly speaking, that yes, the board has authority, right? They've been, they've been given or they've been delegated authority to make decisions on behalf of, of the shareholders and other stakeholders that, that stand to benefit and suffer from the actions of the company. They've got that, all that authority. The trick is making sure that they're actually able to get people in the organization to do the stuff that they want them to do. And it's really important to realize that, first of all, the directionality of authority goes from shareholders to board to senior management. But then the, the, the directionality of accountability goes the opposite direction. We've got management is accountable to the board. The board is accountable to shareholders. Sometimes that directionality of both of those arrows feels kind of wonky, right? You can picture organizations where the CEO thinks they're the boss of the board, which they're not. Sometimes we we can imagine boards where they are overly deferential to the CEO, even though they've got all this accountability to shareholders. So the, just understanding it, talking about it, acknowledging when the, the directionality feels a little bit off, saying it out loud and trying to sort it out because there's a lot of really big potential to either do great things or miss big opportunities. And I think for entrepreneurs and business builders, board governance isn't a place where you get a lot of training. It, it's right. so much learning on your feet and it doesn't have to be as hard. Unfortunately, um, if people just, just knew a little bit more about it going into it. Yeah. I think there's a bit of a, and I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to, to, I don't mean to criticize my peers who are educators in this space, but I, and they have done a less than excellent job at creating resources for CEOs of any type or boards of any type to be able to walk into the room, especially for the first time with a real clear idea of this is how I'm going to do my job. And this is what great looks like. And the other problem is that people who are in positions of tremendous influence, and they've had a lot of success in their lives, especially if this is their not their first rodeo, maybe they've started a bunch of companies and done really well, they're going to walk into the room and not it won't occur to them to ask anybody okay how do i do this job well right because they kind of assume they know already or even worse 
they think other people will assume they know and they're too embarrassed to put up their hand and say, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. Right. So there's yeah. no, and, and even if they are embarrassed, there's not like some magic bullet book or course that you can take that says, here are all the answers. So the resources that are out there are fine, but they're not particularly targeted to making sure that boards and CEOs know how to walk in the room and do a great job. And I think that's a big gap. You know, Matt, but this is what I love about your, 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 your style. And I know listeners, we said this before, you know, it's part encyclopedia and graphic novel. If you've ever sat at a board table, uh, I think graphic novel is such an interesting twist on it because uh, I always say like when, whenever you're in a room with one person, there's really six people in the room because right. each of you brings your professional training, your cultural training or your cultural upbringing and, you know, your, your personal like business uh, position. So there's never just two people in a room. There's always like six. Yeah. So now when you have anywhere from eight to 11 people around a board table, or even if you start off small, you just have three or five people around a board table. There's a force multiplier of personalities in that room who aren't necessarily aligned on their objectives and what, what they want. And, and so I think for a, a professionally young CEO, um, it's a lot for them to manage and, and manage well. Yeah, I agree. And making matters even worse for them is that if they're coming into that room as, uh, as an owner and a CEO and a board member, that it's not always that obvious when you get in the room that the interests of those three roles aren't well aligned with each other most of the time. So you're actually unconsciously fighting against or with yourself, which is a really hard position to be in. I'm not saying that it's a bad position to be in. I'm not trying to encourage CEOs to to let go of one or more positions. I, I think that the these issues and these difficulties can be managed, but we have to name them. Right. We have mm -hmm. to say it out loud and say, look, you know what? I'm not, not really sure how to have this conversation because I'm feeling like my interests as owner and my interests as CEO aren't really well aligned right now. And I'd like some help talking through it because it's it's not impossible, but it is really hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, I want to give a shout out to the fact that you have been the executive and resident at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Business um, for 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 many years. And. Um, and like you said, I, I know you've worked with so many organizations and, and so many, um, different kind of mixes of, of industry. What is it that you're looking at taking ground up governance to, in terms of the next level and, and, and what's the mission with it when it comes to businesses or any type of governing bodies? Yeah, thanks for asking. It I'm I'm going to say something obnoxious and then bring it back down to the real world afterward. The obnoxious thing is that I really believe that there's a need for a new movement in governance. And it doesn't have to be the mat movement. I don't it's not a cult of personality as much as it's the status quo, all the conventions that I'm familiar with around corporate governance are kind of broken or never were very good in the first place and making that even more difficult is the fact that they're everywhere so if i'm someone who's been on 20 30 boards and there are people out there i'm going to mm -hmm. assume that i've seen the best that there is out there and i'll say to them yeah you probably have but it's all bad 
right? And and it's because we've uh, every organization has embraced the status quo. And what I'm hoping to do with ground up governance is kind of eliminate a little bit of this solemn seriousness around governance and open the space to a little bit more uh, big thinking. Most of the innovation that's happened around leadership and management, whether it's decision theories and behavioral economics or workspace innovations or anything, it, it permeates everywhere through an organization and then stops at the boardroom. <laughs> Right, the boardroom never changes, and I think that's completely absurd. And I understand, I think, why that's happened, but it's unnecessary. It works at cross purposes to good decision making. It works at cross purposes to innovation. I really believe that governance is overdue for a shakeup, and that doesn't mean everything needs to go out the window. But we do need to start questioning it. Well, and 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 look, we all know. Robert's rules was introduced in a time and a place and a lot of boards still still use that kind of as their their framework and 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 it has its place it absolutely yeah. has it has its place but um I agree with you that all of I mean if we just look at how the workplace has changed in the last 36 months right um, and and the technology and the tools I mean I'm in the business my podcast is in the business of talking to people who are disrupting existing business systems or introducing new technology right. to transform everything. I mean, that's what I talk to. And you are right. The boardroom stays the this, this same. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Hey, I want to switch be and talk about ethics because um, as I said in the, in the, the intro, governance for smaller businesses and growing businesses, it's, it's really self-imposed trust. I'm going to mm -hmm. just call it that. Like you have to choose to whether you're going to embrace gov appropriate governance structures pretty pretty early on. And and we know that um, investors want to want to see it and know it. Yep. They they want to know. Um, you know, I hear companies say, "Yeah, when I was ready to do an exit." it took me 12 months to get my house in order before I could right. even put it on the market. Whereas if you have the, these kind of governance pieces and your financial pieces in place early, you don't have to redo that. You're primed to sell at, at any point in time. I really do believe that after talking yeah. to hundreds of founders and, and entrepreneurs, but let's talk about ethics, any views um, or any tidbits or wisdom on this concept of ethics, I know we could talk for hours upon hours on ethics, yeah. and I'm get, asking for a three-minute answer, but uh, high-level ethics in governance. Yeah, so I, I actually think there's there are certain things that no amount of good governance can completely eliminate. Right, so we can't we can't eliminate conflicts of interest, for example. So the example used a minute ago about even one person walks into the room with conflicts of interest inside themselves, and so even simpler conflicts of interest, you can't avoid them. You just have to acknowledge and manage them. There are, if we think of, if you like my definition of good governance as intentionally creating effective conditions for decision making, then. We're not saying, okay, well, you know, 
we're never going to have a bad actor in this room or we're never going to have a criminal in this room. I mean, there's some things that you, there's, there's no amount of intentional preparation that will completely eliminate the risk. So that's not what governance is about. I sometimes look at, at organizations that are held up as governance failures because there was criminal activity. And I say, well, you know, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. It's a really bad result. Nobody's happy with the result, but is this a governance failure? I just don't know, right? So I think on the one hand, we've got compliance, which is separate from governance, which is let's follow the rules and laws and make sure that we're on side because those are there to help to manage certain types of risk, including certain ethical risks. Let's, on the other hand, embrace the fact that we've got a lot of optionality in who's in the room and why they're there. What types of skills and personalities and demographics do we want in the room to help us see the different facets of ethical issues that we might encounter and explore them in ways that we wouldn't see otherwise if we were all the same, you know, male, pale and stale former CEOs or whatever it is, right? How do we make sure that we're, again, optimizing the conditions so that when we face ethical challenges, we're going to explore them both sincerely and from as many angles as possible and limit the, the potential that we're going to step in a giant pile? Now, I loved how you how you phrased that. I know I interviewed um, the CEO of the Memory Jar Company, and she'll, she'll say that her, her board of directors has a five-year-old and a 78-year-old. Um, because she wants to make sure that she's steering the business to meet those needs. And I mean, you could get it a different way, but it, it's, she, she actually articulated that intentionality that you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no one answer. And I think we have to look at this, whether we're looking at it through the lens of ethics or whether it's more generic, we have to look at it as a journey. Right. If we if we reject this, the equivalency between compliance and governance, then we're getting rid of this idea that there's some checklist that as long as we do it, it's finished. Instead, we have to look at it as, all right, these are the decisions that are coming at us in the next meeting or the next year or whatever. What conditions does this specific decision need in terms of information, in terms of frequency of conversation uh, in terms of making sure that we're not framing the decision too narrowly and missing opportunities in terms of skills, in terms of, I'm really fixated on the layout of a boardroom being a major factor. There's so many different things, so many different puzzle pieces that fit together that it, if we're not exploring them, we're leaving value on the table. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, we always come up on time, uh, Pretty quickly, I want to give a shout out to the fact I, I usually ask my guests, you know, what you do to to keep balanced or bring joy outside of the, your business life um, to what you do. And I know you're a bass player, so tell us a little bit about about what you do there. Yeah, thanks for asking. I I am so spoiled. I I in addition to all the other cool stuff I get to do, I am a bass player in a band called Casey Roberts and the Live Revolution. We're based in Toronto. It's a touring original band we put out our seventh record grit in june there's a bunch of new videos touring's been a little bit difficult post covid for it's really i think it's really great for big big huge bands but for the guys like us it's been a little bit tricky to get back going but still get the chance to make music and it's is one of the most important and fulfilling parts of my life ah well that sounds fantastic we can have our encourage our listeners to go and and look that up when they when they look up you and 
And Matt, if I make it to Toronto or you make it to Chicago, we will need to line up the glasses on the bar and have a good governance geek session. I can't wait. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> hey, if people want to know more, reach out to you, get a hold of you, follow you, what should they go and what should they do? I finally got a, a real grown-up website. So everything is under the same roof, including music. It's at mattfulbrook.com. So have a look over there. You'll find the One Minute Governance podcast, Ground Up Governance, my advisory work, the music work, and everything else just under one roof, finally. Well, thanks. And I really do encourage everybody, just go take a, a look um, and listen to a couple episodes of the One Minute Governance. It, it is, it's, it's such a good dose of uh, thinking power. And you do, you keep it pretty close to that one minute. And I appreciate that. That's so, hey, favorite. to our listeners, if you think somebody else needs to hear what Matt said, please pass along a copy of this episode. And if you haven't heard me say it before, I will say it again. Pick up a copy of my book, Building Your Brand, Make Business Happen in a Global Economy. Or also give a shout out to Connect to Influence if you need to think more about your networking game. Hey, until we speak again, always keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Matt, thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks, Allison. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>